listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So your scripture today is James 5, verses 7 through 12. It's in the Pew Bibles, page 982. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about, for the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Jenny, for that reading. Ooh, that water bottle won't fit my pocket today. I don't know. I don't know if that means my uh, pants shrunk or something else. Anyway, uh, good morning again, everyone. Who's ready to knock out the book of James? Woohoo! That was, that was such a weak woohoo. Um, all right, we've been, we've been in the book of James together all fall. Uh, we've been working through this book, and we only have two weeks left, today and next Sunday, and then we are going to be done with James and on to something new. Um, I've really enjoyed working through this book together. Um, James is a book that is just full of practical wisdom and guidance, and uh, this passage Ginny just read for us is no exception. James tells his readers to strengthen their hearts, endure, be patient until the coming of the Lord. He tells them not to grumble against each other, don't judge, don't swear oaths, but you let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's quoting his brother Jesus there, by the way. All really good stuff. And like, that could be the sermon, right? I could just say like, all that stuff you heard, just do that. And we could, we could go home early, you guys. But of course, we can't do that because there's more going on here. If we peel back the layers a little bit, we're going to discover that there is way more here for us in these closing words of James than just some practical wisdom and good advice. One thing we got to keep in mind when we're reading a book like James is that we're reading someone else's mail, right? Like all, all these short books we find at the end of our Bibles, um, stuff like Romans, Galatians, First and Second Peter, Jude, James, these are letters that were written by real people at a real time and place. And if you've ever read someone else's mail, well, for one, that's a felony, um, <laughs> but also, it's really easy to miss the context. There's a lot that gets left out when all we have is one letter. And we talked about the context of James way back when we started this series back in September, but it bears repeating. We should talk a little bit about what's going on in James's context. Uh, James was a pastor. Does, does anyone remember where James was a pastor? Jerusalem. James Symboli. Of course you know. Of course you know James. James was a pastor. 
He was a Jewish Christian pastor in Jerusalem in the decades immediately following the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to other Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. It's important to know a little something of what was going on in that region at that time if we're going to read this letter well. In short, it was not a very good time to be living in Jerusalem. And it was not a great time to be Jewish anywhere in the Roman Empire. Poverty was rampant. Income inequality was through the roof. Most people were desperately poor. Uh, Roman historians tell us that a number of famines hit Jerusalem during this time period, so you've got a lot of people who have nothing to eat. It was also an incredibly violent and tumultuous time politically. There were revolutionary movements happening, um, radical religious movements that we would today probably label terrorism, um, and they were trying to expel the Roman occupiers from the Holy Land through violence. And of course, the Romans would put down these attempted revolutions through violence of their own, violence leading to violence, escalating over and over again. As I'm reading this and thinking about it, it's not all that different from what we are seeing today, all over the world, but especially in the Holy Land. There are two sides that hate each other, embracing horrific violence, and it is more often than not the innocent poor people stuck in the middle who bear the brunt of it, who suffer. It's heartbreaking, and it's maddening because it keeps happening over and over again. Back in James's day, anti-Semitism was on the rise. Um, Jews were viewed with suspicion by the Romans, largely because of what was happening in the Holy Land, and again, we're seeing that on repeat today. Um, attacks on synagogues and the broader Jewish community have increased all over the world. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, there was this news story about a group of college students, Jewish college students in New York City, who had to barricade themselves in their campus library because there was a group of anti-Israeli protesters trying to bang down the door. It's really scary. And that's to say nothing of the violence we're seeing in our own country toward Muslims and Palestinian immigrants as well. All this violence leading to more and more violence. We're playing the same story on repeat, which means that we can relate to this. When James tells his readers to be patient in the midst of suffering, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near, this is the kind of stuff he's talking about, a very real experience of suffering. That's the historical context, but we also have to read this passage in light of the context of what came right before it. That's an important bit of context, too. Um, does anyone remember, I shouldn't ask this question, it's just going to be depressing. Does anyone remember the sermon from two weeks ago? Um, we, we played a game called the Bible or Karl Marx. Do we remember, remember that part? Yeah, that was, that was fun, wasn't it? That was, that was exciting. Um, that was based on James 5, 1 to 6, which is the passage right before this one. Let's reread it, uh, just for kicks. These are the verses that come right before our passage, James 5, beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have laid up treasure during the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have nourished your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is James's message to the rich, the people with power, the haves. He writes this, and then he turns to address the have-nots, the poor. Very next line. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. The reason that context is so important is because it reminds us that James is not some out-of-touch leader who's turning a blind eye to suffering. He's not telling the poor people to just relax you know, don't, don't be hysterical, be patient, just wait and your liberation will come. No, that is not the context here. James hammers the rich, the haves, and then he turns pastorally to address the have-nots. Reminds me a little bit of um, Letter from a Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. Has anyone ever read Letter from a Birmingham Jail? Any of us? Oh man, you've got to read it. If you, you Google Letter from a Birmingham Jail, you'll find it. Uh, it's an incredible document. It's a letter that Dr. King wrote from jail, and it's addressed to all the out-of-touch, moderate clergy back in Birmingham, Alabama in the 60s who were telling African Americans to just be patient. Don't rock the boat. Don't go to protest. Don't follow Dr. King on his liberal crusade. Just wait, and equality will come eventually. Dr. King wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail responding to that. And you could read James as an out-of-touch moderate, but that would take James completely out of his context. When James tells his readers to be patient, it's more akin to Dr. King in speeches like, uh, I had a dream or I have been to the mountaintop, where he is drawing on that future hope to empower these people and move them to action. Um, James tells them to be patient, but it's an active patience, not a passive patience. If you want uh, evidence of this, look at the three examples of patience James points to. It's very telling. Farmers, prophets, and Job. Let's start with farmers. Uh, next slide there, perfect. By show of hands, how many of us have worked on a farm? Okay, that's, that's about half the room. Uh, me too, I worked on a farm. Uh, and I'll tell you, if you haven't worked on a farm, you should know that farming is not a passive activity. <laughs> um, farmers don't just put a seed in the ground and wait, you know, like walk away. That is not how it works. Farmers are always working from like morning to evening. evening. There's always work to be done always preparing, tilling the soil, pruning the crops, watering, harvesting, feeding, making sure the land is primed to grow. No farmer just sits by a field hoping without acting. Farmers are active. It's an active patience. 
Farmers understand, especially because they're so connected to the land, that ultimately you've got to trust God to deliver the fruit of all that labor. God sends the rains. God sends the sun. Only God can manifest life. That requires an enormous amount of trust and patience, but it's active. What about the prophets? These figures from the Bible, um, people like Elijah, Isaiah, Nathan, Miriam, were they passive are, are the prophets doormats who just kind of sit around waiting for God to show up? No, like not at all, right? The prophets are obnoxious. They are loud. They are combative in your face. Most of the prophets in the Bible end up getting killed for spouting off to someone in power. They were persistent. They had endurance. That's what their patience looked like. And the third example James points us to of patience is Job. Do you guys remember Job? Yeah, we talked about Job back in the spring. Uh, Job had incredible endurance. He trusted God even after he lost everything. But Job was also a fighter. He defends himself going toe-to-toe with these friends who blame him for his misery. James even calls out God. Or Job, sorry, Job. Job even calls out, calls out God. Job gets in God's face and demands an explanation even as he patiently waits for God's deliverance. These are the examples of patient endurance James points us to. Which means that if you're in this room right now and you are struggling, I know many of us are. Maybe you've gone through some sort of loss Maybe you're struggling with your health, your career, with family. Maybe there's some sort of threat looming over you. I hope you can hear this call to patient endurance as a call to action, a call to stand firm, to trust God. Don't give up the fight. Christ is coming. Whatever pain, whatever injustice or challenge we're up against, it will come to an end. Things will get better, whether it's in this world or the next. That's the promise. You are going to be delivered. God is going to set things right. Let that hope empower you to endure whatever you're up against. Let it drive you to persistent action. That's what it means to strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord. As I understand it, that's James's message to the poor the struggling, the the have-nots. And if you're there, you find yourself in that situation, I hope you can take some hope from that. But I also need to acknowledge that many of us in this room are not the have-nots. The majority of us are the haves, right? I'm a have. Um, I live a relatively comfortable life, all things considered. Uh, I've never been targeted for violence because of my ethnicity or religion. Uh, I've never had to flee my home because there were bombs raining on me. Uh, I don't have to live with a constant threat of poverty, instability, hunger, sickness, and I thank God for that. In the grand scheme of things, on, on the spectrum between the rich and the powerful people that James is calling out, right, woe to you who are rich, If they're at one end of the spectrum and the other end is Palestinians fleeing their homes or uh, Jewish college students bunkering down in a library, if that's the spectrum, I'm here. 
I'm a have. Most of us are haves, and we should be thankful for that. But what is James's message to us? That's what I was wrestling with all week. What can we take, what can I take from this passage if we are not the ones who are currently suffering? Is there anything here for us? I think our lesson still has to be one of patience, but it's gonna look pretty differently on this side of the spectrum. We need to cultivate patience in our lives, and I think that's gonna start by recognizing that our impatience is a justice issue. My impatience hurts people. My need to have whatever I want, whenever I want it, as soon as I want it, hurts people. A lot of the pain, a lot of the suffering we see around the world, a lot of that instability exists in service of global supply chains so that we can get the stuff we want when we want it. We need to opt out of our consumeristic culture, guys. Recognize that the endless options of cheap products we have available come at a cost. Our access to cheap, plentiful, out-of-season produce, right, whenever we want it, comes at a cost. My ability to buy avocados in November in Brockport, New York, there's a cost to that. That brings a cost to the earth, the land, and the people that produce all that stuff. I watched a news story the other day about chocolate. Uh, it was about the world's cocoa depressing, uh, sorry, cocoa production, and it was very depressing. It was incredibly depressing. Uh, most of the world's cocoa farmers live in extreme poverty. I wasn't aware of that. Um, they're among the poorest people on earth, actually. And much of the world's cocoa is harvested by modern-day slaves, many of them children. That's where our chocolate comes from, you guys. It's depressing. And it's extra depressing if, like me, when you're depressed, you want chocolate. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a classic catch-22. We have to opt out of our consumeristic culture that demands more and more and more and cultivate some patience. Learn to wait for stuff. Learn to go without. Take less trips to the mall, the grocery store. Put some boundaries around your online shopping. Support small local businesses. Buy produce in season. And if you can afford to do so, pay that little bit extra for products that are manufactured ethically. That's like a super easy step toward this. Another way we can cultivate patience, and it's going to kind of compound, it's going to build on the previous ones, uh, they reinforce each other, is to opt out of the 24-7 communication culture that is empowered by our technology. Getting thumbs up from Martha, so I'm doing something right. Silence your cell phones, right? Put up an away message, disable notifications, get a handle on your media consumption in general, and especially on social media consumption. Set some boundaries on that front. Um, no work emails on the weekend and no cell phones in bed is a great place to start. Uh, this summer, while I was on sabbatical, I turned off all notifications on my phone except for texts and emails. And it was incredible, you guys. It was, it was amazing. Um, I used to get notified for everything. You know, emails, Facebook notifications, other social media stuff. 
Now I only get pinged for text messages and phone calls, just like Mother Nature intended. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, it does mean, though, because I, I also haven't turned those notifications back on yet, um, which does mean that sometimes I'm a little bit slower replying to people. Um, some folks have gotten annoyed at me because of this, but I am trying to practice patience. I'm trying to be more attentive and more uh, present with the people I interact with face-to-face, and by not responding to messages right away, I'm also helping others cultivate patience, whether they like it or not. It's a win-win. We don't have to be plugged in all the time. The emails can wait till Monday. You can check social media once or twice a week. It's incredible. We don't need constant access to these devices that eat away at our patients. Opt out of that. Um, wouldn't that be an amazing way for Christians to lead counterculturally in the 21st century if we were known for being less plugged in than our neighbors? And as we opt out of our consumeristic culture, our 24-7 communication culture that reinforces that, we're going to find that it cultivates greater patience with flesh and blood people as well. How's your patience when it comes to flesh and blood people these days? Probably not great. How do you deal with people in the real world? How do you treat your server at a restaurant? How well do you tip? Do you find it easy to show grace to people, to refrain from judging others? All this stuff eats away at that. Um, It's the worst for me when I'm driving, Um, especially like coming up Owens Road, I think it is, like from the canal side where, where the speed limit switches from 30 to 45, and I always get stuck, never fails, behind someone who stays at 30, and I lose my mind, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is just me. Um, but usually, usually it's because I'm trying to get somewhere work-related, business-related, or I'm trying to get somewhere to buy something, and I have no patience for this person who probably just missed a sign or they're taking their time for whatever reason. Our impatience hurts people. If we can cultivate patience by putting less demand on ourselves and our consumption, we're going to find it easier to put fewer demands on other people as well. If I'm setting boundaries for myself around this stuff, I'm going to have greater patience and grace for other people's boundaries as well. It feeds on itself. For the have-nots of our world, cultivating patience is about standing firm, being persistent, holding on to hope. For the haves, I think patience is more likely to look like letting go, knowing when not to speak, when not to be heard, and being persistent in checking our own hearts. And this is not a simple black or white binary where you're on one side or the other. Uh, You might need to let go in one situation and stand firm in another. You might find yourself without power in one setting with one group of people, and then find yourself in another situation where you are the most well-off person in the room. Both scenarios call for patience, but the wisdom is found in knowing which one, what kind of patience you need at any given time. I think this is why James tells us not to judge others. Don't grumble against another person who's on a different point of their journey than you. Let your speech be simple and honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And in all things, remember that the coming of the Lord is near.
Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment to recognize when we are the ones with power, when we are the haves. And God, for anyone in here right now who's hurting, we pray for deliverance. Give them a measure of that persistent patience and endurance that will help them to hold firm and stay strong no matter what they are up against. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to exercise patience in our own lives, to recognize the ways that our impatience hurts others, and to make a change in our own hearts so that we are ready for the coming of the Lord. We ask for these things in the name of Jesus, our righteous judge. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.